So I want to title this message, Jesus, my healer. Jesus, somebody say, Jesus, my healer. If you got a Bible, go to Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Yeah. Jesus steps on the scene, and one of the very first red talks he gives, not a TED talk, but a red talk, Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He's anointed me to heal the brokenhearted. Jesus came to heal broken hearts. He didn't just come to heal broken arms, broken ankles, broken knees, broke backs. He came to heal broken hearts. And I believe he's here to heal your heart today. Whether your heart's been broken by a person that let you down, by a situation that left you just disappointed, discouraged, defeated, deflated. Maybe you came in here today and you go, Paul, I've been broken up. My girlfriend broke up with me. I lost my dog. You got a country song type of life. You're just like, lost my dog, lost my job, lost my girl, lost my house. Jesus came to set things right in our life. He didn't just come to fix the external parts, but he came to heal the heart. He came to heal what people can't heal, what doctors can't fix. He came to do miracles. And and throughout his ministry, by the way, Jesus started his ministry when he was 30 years old. He waited 30 years to start preaching. He knew it, it was in him since he was a baby, but he waited. You're never too late to start doing what God's called you to do. If there's breath in your lungs, you still got opportunities to start moving in the ministry in the direction he's got for your life. But when he was 30, he starts preaching. He starts doing miracles. And one of the first miracles he does is in a marriage. I think that's interesting. That one of the first miracles Jesus does is at a wedding with some in-laws, some moms, dads, a bride, and a groom. How many of y'all know families need healing? Or about 10 of us in the room, but the rest of y'all just don't want to admit it. But how many of y'all know marriages need healing, families need healing, in-laws, and your relationships with them? So in John chapter 2, one of the first miracles Jesus does is in Cana. And I want you to see what he does because it's not just understanding that Jesus did miracles during his time. It's understanding how he did miracles, the way in which he did miracles, and and the places that he did miracles, the people he did miracles for. On the third day, this wedding was taking place, and weddings would last not just for one hour. This past, last night, I was at a wedding, and, uh, and the wedding was over in about 30 minutes, but then there was a reception, and typically weddings in America are like 30 minutes, then there's a reception, and maybe it's a couple hours, and then it's over. But in that time, they had weddings that would last for days. That's a long time to hang out with your family and your in-laws. <laughs> And uh, so Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were there. I love that Jesus went to weddings. He went to parties. Aren't you glad that God was not just like this far off, only hanging out in the temple kind of God, but he was approachable. He was with people. He smelled like the sheep. He hung out with sinners. He talked with people like you and your (laughs) mother-in-law. And watch this in verse 3. The first miracle Jesus does is wine. It's getting quiet in this charismatic church. When the wine went out, Jesus' mother said to him, son, they have no more wine. Now, if my mom came over and said that to me, first of all, she wouldn't say that to me because we don't have wine. But if she came, last week, we were celebrating, or two weeks ago, we were celebrating my grand-grand's birthday. She turned 99. And we were at my mom's house. She, she catered in all the food. And, uh, and, and I think we had rib cribs, a barbecue, and sweet tea. And, and, and my mom There was like 30 of us there. Imagine if she walks over to me and goes, son, I've ran out of sweet tea. 
And I was like, I got this. <laughs> Jesus is standing there. Watch what he says back to his mom. His mom goes, son, we're out of wine. He goes, woman. Now, kids, don't repeat this red talk right here. Don't, don't call your mom woman. He says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Now, this is interesting. Jesus had a timing for his miracles. He knew when he was going to do certain miracles. Just because it hasn't happened doesn't mean it's not going to happen yet. Just because that relationship hasn't been healed, just because things haven't turned around in that situation doesn't mean he's not going to do it yet. He says, I've got a timing. I've got an hour. I have a plan. God's up to something even when you don't see it. He's taking his time. In fact, in experiencing Jesus as your healer, I want to just put this sentence up on the screen because I think this is important for this message, and it really is the main point. Experiencing Jesus as your healer requires faith and belief that he can heal. you got to believe that he can do it. But it also requires patience... And this is where people get lost and understanding in the process in how he may heal. I've got to be willing to trust that he's going to do it, but he may not do it when I want it, how I want it, where I want it, the way that I want it. Like he might heal someone down at this altar of cancer and they're instantly healed. Cancer's gone. Tumors re removed, dissolved. But for someone else, he might heal them through a process. And my friend came up to me after the 9 a.m. service. He said, Paul, I've been battling cancer off and on for the last year. He said, I got healed, and then it came back. Got healed, then it came back. But he said, I want you to know this past week, he said, I haven't lost hope in the process of my healing. He said, the doctors told me I am now completely cancer-free. Didn't have to have any surgery. He said, it's totally gone. He said, no matter what, though, I'm committed to the process. So many people forfeit the process of healing because we want, we, we live in an Instagram era where we want it instantly. Like I want to upload the picture. I want it now. We don't want to take time and we live in a microwave. Yesterday I was getting my hair cut. My friend, Pastor Stefan Marklin of Victory North Campus. He, he said, he, I said, Kate, can I get a fresh fade? He's like, I got you, bro. So he comes to Victory and he meets me here. He brings his scissors and stuff. He's got his, you know, all that, that kind of stuff. And uh, he's going... And I was like, hey, church is about to start. We got a Saturday night service. I said, we got, we got to hurry. And he goes, bro, do you want a microwave haircut? Or do you want a filet mignon? I said, I want the filet mignon. He goes, then don't rush the process. I said, yes, sir. He goes, I'm working on something, Paul. It's going to take some time, but it's going to feel real good when it's done. I was like, you sound like my sermon right now. Jesus is working on, somebody say he's working on something. Don't rush healing. Don't rush the healing process. It's interesting that wine itself goes through a process before it's wine. I went and preached in Fresno, California a couple years ago, and, and the pastor was telling me about his city, and he said, we have some of the greatest vineyards in California right here. And he said, what happens is you got these grapes out here. And grapes themselves are good, but they're cheap. You can, you can buy grapes, you can get you know, tons of grapes for a pretty good price. But when the grapes go through a crushing process, they are 
the crushing is not the end of the grapes. The crushing is the beginning of something even greater. They're transitioning from a cheap product to something much more expensive. Good wine takes time. Good healing takes time. Whole miracles take time. It's a process. Jesus is working something. He says, I've, I've got a plan. And Mary, his mother, she, she looks at him and she goes, all right, we'll see about that. She tells the servant, she goes, do whatever he tells you. She looks at him like, you better do what I'm asking. Jesus is like, all right. Nearby stood six stone water jars. Stone, we're not talking glass. Stone water jars, the kind used for ceremonial washing. They could hold up to 30 gallons. These aren't small little jars. These are massive barrels. And uh, Jesus looks at them. Jesus is going to use whatever he can use in your life to bring about the miracle. He might wrap your miracle in stone jars, or he might wrap it in a teenage daughter. He might wrap it in a surprise COVID baby. He might wrap it in rehab. He might wrap it in a discipleship class. But don't despise whatever Jesus uses to bring about your healing or your miracle because he's up to something. Somebody say he's up to something. So he uses what's in the room. The miracle is in the house. Jesus looks around. He says, fill that up with water. And they filled it to the brim. It's a process. Something's going on. He says, now draw some of that water out. And when they drew the water out, they brought it to the master of the banquet. He tasted the water. He said, something's different. He said, this tastes really, really good. See, when you go through a process of healing, what was once cheap, what was once something like someone told me this. They said, Paul, you're going to say something when you become the pastor, that it will take a thousand words for you to say it in 2014. But fast forward in about seven or eight years, fast forward in about 10 years, what used to take a thousand words to have authority and power, once you go through a crushing process, you'll say one sentence and it will carry more weight than 30 minutes that you used to preach because you've walked through a crushing process. See, the healing changes your power. The healing changes your authority. The healing changes your impact. The healing changes your value. And so Jesus changes this water into wine. And the, the master of the banquet drinks it. He goes to the bridegroom and he says, everyone brings out the choice, most expensive wine first. The cheaper wine is saved at the end. But you, my friend, have saved the best for last. Jesus did miracles everywhere. From that moment on in John chapter 4, he healed an official son. He healed through faith. He healed through belief. In, in John chapter 5, there was a paralyzed man that was at the pool of Bethesda. When the waters would be stirred in the pool, people would run to the pool to experience a breakthrough, a miracle. But there was one man who had been there for 38 years, paralyzed in this condition. And every single time the pool was stirred and a miracle would happen, he would miss it because he couldn't get to the pool in time. And Jesus walks into the emergency room. This is literally everyone who was at the pool of Bethesda was sick, hurting, lame, in need of help. He walks in. He goes, do you want to get well? Which is an interesting question to ask in the emergency room. Walking into a room of people that are extremely sick. The man goes, of course I do. 
but no one can get me there. Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Your miracle is in motion right now. As soon as the man got up. See, a lot of miracles don't just require a belief, but require an action step. Because faith without works is Your miracle is connected to your action step of faith. Faith with corresponding actions. It's not enough to just shout back at the preacher. Sometimes you gotta sign up for the discipleship class. Sometimes you gotta come down to the altar. Sometimes you gotta go see a counselor. Sometimes you gotta endure the crushing process. Sometimes you gotta pick up your mat even when you don't feel like picking up your mat. Sometimes you gotta come to church even when you lost an hour of sleep. Sometimes you gotta do the thing you don't wanna do, but once you do it, I'm telling you, the miracle is in motion with your faith. In John chapter 6, there was a boy with five loaves and two fishes. I want to I look at every kind of miracle because Jesus performed miracles that weren't just connected to your body getting healed or your heart getting healed, but he also performed miracles that would expand a poverty mindset that would heal your mind from thinking he can't work in your finances too. Jesus came to heal people's financial troubles. Jesus came to expand people from thinking, God doesn't care about me. God's not involved in my finances. God only cares about my elbow getting healed. No, he also cares about you being an impact for your family. He also cares about ORU getting out of debt and being debt free in one of the strongest universities. If he did it for them, he could do it again. If he did it for them, he could do it again. If he did it for them, he can do it again. Somebody say, Jesus is my healer. In John chapter 6, Jesus said, who's going to feed these 5,000 men, these 10,000 women, these 13,000 children? Who's going to feed these thousands of people here? They said, no one could. It's impossible. Impossible. That's where Jesus does his greatest work. Give them something impossible. Give them an impossible relationship to be healed. Give them, give them an impossible diagnosis to heal. Give him an impossible financial situation. I remember my senior year at ORU. They said the university might shut down at Christmas time, 2007. We just walked through a painful season that fall. And I remember thinking, am I going to lose all of the credits that I've worked hard for? My dad stepped in as the interim president. I could see he was under a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety. The university was $52 million in debt. And there was no one that was from the alumni association that cared to, to help him out. There was no bank that wanted to bail us out. And I remember just hearing that announcement in chapel, be prepared to not come back next semester. And then my dad said, let's pray for a miracle. Let's pray. Let's expect a miracle that God is up to something good on the other side of this storm. Sure enough, at Christmas time, 2007, a family that didn't have anyone connected to ORU, didn't have any alumni, didn't have any relationship, said, we want to help this university out. God told us to not just get you out of debt, but to help this university get back up on its feet again. Today, it's one of the strongest financial universities in America. Don't tell me God can't do a financial miracle in your life. Don't tell me he only cares about bodies and hearts. He also cares about your financial stability. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's my provider. Jesus multiplied the loaves and fishes. He fed thousands of people with basketfuls left over. In John chapter 9, there was a man who was blind from birth. Now watch how Jesus heals this man. In the past, Jesus would touch people who were blind. He would just put his hands on their eyes and he would say, according to your faith, let it be unto you. In Matthew chapter 9, 
There was two men who were blind. They said, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus said, become what you believe. And instantly their eyes were healed. But in John chapter 9, he does it different. He does it different. And I'm not going to illustrate it today. Because he spits. And I'm not going to spit. But listen, he spits in the mud. I do want to. I'm not going to illustrate. He spits in the mud. And he makes mud. Sometimes his miracles are messy. Sometimes his miracles are muddy. Sometimes his miracles are wrapped in something that feels uncomfortable for you. Sometimes his miracles make you have to take a break. Sometimes his miracles make you have to go down to an altar call. Sometimes his miracles require you to humble yourself. Sometimes his miracles ask you to lay down your ego. Sometimes his miracles ask you to take on the thing that you didn't want to take on, to adopt the child that you weren't sure you could adopt. I remember when when COVID happened, when our church was opening up and we were doing rooftop revivals and it was amazing. And and Ashley and I, we had just, you know, settled it. We had four kids. Our fourth kid was born in 2018. It was awesome, exciting. We were like, yes, help us, Jesus. You know, four kids, two dogs in a church. And we just need, because each kid is a full-time job. And then COVID happens and we thought we were done. And God wrapped grace in a fifth baby. Surprise, we had number five. And I remember when number five came and both Ashton and I were like, we're barely staying afloat, you know, in the water. Like as much as I want to act like I'm Superman, I'm not. We need help. Like when people go, do y'all need prayer? I'm like, yes, I need your prayers. Praying for you, you pray for me. Let's do this together. Um, But I remember when when Gianna came and I was like, Lord, we're going to need extra grace. And God goes, I got you. In fact, that was what we named her, Gianna Grace. This last week, I told Ashley, I said, who would have thought that a fifth baby wouldn't end up adding more stress, but would actually add more grace, more joy, more healing, more love. God's going to wrap some miracles in some unique things. So he spits in the mud. He says, you've been having trouble seeing. So this miracle is going to be a process. I want you to rub the mud all over your eyes. It's going to feel uncomfortable. And then I want you to go and dip in Siloam River. I want you to go to Siloam Springs. I want you to go down there. I want you to get down in the water. And I want you to rub that mud with water. And when the man did, his eyes were completely healed. God is your healer. But he might do it differently than he did it for him. In John chapter 11, there was a man who was dead. His disciples said, shouldn't we go and mourn and grieve him? Jesus said, we will. They said, don't you care about your brother Lazarus? He said, I do. Then why aren't we going there? He said, because I've got a timing in this miracle. I've got a plan. I'm in the middle of something that you don't see. I'm doing something that doesn't make sense to you right now. See, sometimes the healing, the miracles Jesus does didn't make sense to his own disciples. They go, you don't make sense to us. He said, I know. He's not trying to fit into your box that you place him in. He came to break the box that the religious leaders placed God in. So he shows up four days late. Just because he's late doesn't mean the miracle won't happen. And he comes to the tomb of Lazarus and he weeps with those who are weeping. He understands your tears in the process of whatever looks dead in your life, whatever has died in your life. And he calls out to every Lazarus in the room, Lazarus, come forth. And with one red talk, that man came walking out like a zombie from that tomb. And he said, unwrap him from these dead 
funeral clothes that they've placed on this man, and Lazarus walked out of that tomb. Jesus is still raising the dead, marriages and families and dreams and sons and daughters back to life. In Mark chapter 5, there was a woman who had been to multiple doctors, and she wouldn't stop bleeding. She just kept bleeding. It just got worse and worse, and she was losing her money, and doctors were robbing her, telling her this medicine will work, but it didn't. She got worse. The condition grew worse. The bleeding got worse. And then she heard Jesus is coming. And she said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I know he can heal me. One touch from Jesus. Some miracles take time. Some miracles happen instantly. After 12 years of bleeding, she reached out and touched. And when she touched the hem of his garment, the bleeding stopped. Jesus turned around. He said, who touched me? She said, it was me. Why did Jesus perform miracles? I could keep going. John, the book of John says there's so many miracles you couldn't even put them in all the books in a library. There's so many things Jesus did. He calmed storms. He stopped thunder and lightning. He stopped hurricanes. He healed lepers. He touched the untouchable. He raised more dead people. Why did he do it? Number one, I want to give you three reasons why Jesus did miracles. Number one, he did it because he loves us. He wanted to show his compassion for humanity. The motivating factor of Jesus's miracles was his love. He wasn't performing miracles so he could say, look at me, I'm amazing. He was performing miracles because his heart broke for you. If you could hear the heartbeat of Jesus, it's people, 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 red and yellow, black and white. No matter what ethnicity you are, no matter how old or young you are, his heart beats for you. How does Jesus view sinners? He views them as candidates for a miracle, candidates for his mercy and his grace. How does Jesus view addicts? demoniacs, people with oppression, depression, religious people, people that are messed up. How did he view Nicodemus? He views them with love and compassion. He says, I'm looking for anyone who needs a doctor. The great physician is here. His heart beats for you. Filled with compassion, Jesus healed the sick. Filled with compassion. By the way, he has compassion for the people that are different than you, that sin differently than you. Jesus has compassion for those people. I was talking with Pastor Tim, and we just took on a new Dream Center campus in West Tulsa. It's our second Dream Center location in Tulsa. We want to surround this city with God's mercy and love and feed the hungry, clothe the naked. We want to be able to mentor young children, change neighborhoods and communities. And he said, Paul, there's people in West Tulsa that have been isolated from the community. They literally have to live further away from Tulsa. People who've gotten out of jail, but they feel like they're still in jail. And he said, does does the compassion of the Dream Center and Victory, does it reach those people? See, Jesus went to leper colonies. Leper colonies were places where people had to pull away from their families because of the sickness that was starting to show. You can hide leprosy for a while, but eventually it starts to show. You start losing your ears, your nose, your skin starts to decay, and then you have to pull away from wife, kids, people, people that are clean. You literally have to say, I'm unclean. I'm an unclean person. Can't come 100 feet within a clean person. And Jesus walks right into the unclean community. He says, I know nobody wants to touch you. This is why COVID messed with me, because I was like, Jesus would be right in the middle of people with the coronavirus. What are we doing? Jesus was right there. 
just sitting with people who were sick, sitting with the lame. And he was just, he reaches out and he touches the leper. And he says, be clean. He touched the untouchable. I think the touch healed the man even more than the words healed the man. Because to be touched for the first time in 20 years when no one would touch you by a clean man, by a mighty man of God, by the son of God himself, that alone right there, that sends chills down my spine. The fact that Jesus would touch someone nobody wanted to touch, that he would take a picture with a guy nobody wanted to take a picture with, that he would stand. He says, not only am I going to heal you, but I'm going to identify with you. I'm going to be beside you. I'm not acting like I'm better than you. I'm right there with you. Number two, Jesus wanted to show his true identity. He knew that people thought he was a good teacher. They had heard his sermon on the mount. But he wanted to show that he was more than just a prophet or a teacher. He wanted to show that he was the son of God. He did miracles that were different than Elijah, different than John the Baptist, different than Elisha. Jesus walked on water. Why did he do this? To prove to them that he had power over nature. He raised the dead back to life. Why? He wanted to show them that the the power of God is stronger than the power of death. Jesus forgave the worst of sinners. He got in the dust with prostitutes. and, And he lifts them up out of their sin and shame. And he says, go and sin no more. He's identifying with the woman at the well who's been through five marriages. Jesus was showing his true identity, that he has power over shame, sin, death, sickness, storms, water, nature. You name it, God's more powerful than that. He was showing his true identity. Number three, Jesus performed miracles to provide us with a glimpse of the world that is yet to come. Miracles are like a flash of lightning in the middle of the night. It's just this interruption that goes, light exists here. There is another kingdom beyond this world. There's another world beyond this world. What is a miracle? If if, if you're taking notes, a miracle is a divine act of God, something you can't do, something no one else can do but God. It's a supernatural thing. When doctors go, I don't know how this happened. When you go, I don't know how this happened. I can't explain it. It wasn't my connections. It wasn't my last name. It was no networking. There was no one that could have made that. It had to be God. That's a miracle. It had to be God. Just when we think this life is all there is, miracles introduce us to another world, a spiritual reality of God's presence, his kingdom, his love, the Garden of Eden, what God intended for mankind before there was sin. There was an author who wrote this. He said, we modern people think of miracles as the suspension of natural order. But Jesus meant for miracles to be the restoration of natural order. The Bible tells us that God did not originally make the world to have disease, hunger, poverty, abuse, divorce, cancer, leukemia. Jesus came to redeem what went wrong, to heal the world where it became broken. His miracles are not just proofs that he has power, but also wonderful foretaste of what he's going to do with that power. Jesus' miracles are not just a challenge to our natural thinking, but a promise to our hearts that the world we all long for is coming when his kingdom comes to pass. Jesus has a plan, my friends, and it's good. I want to just end this sermon today with just a few last miracles to stir up your hope. I want the band to come out. In Luke 13, there was a woman who comes into this area. In fact, let's just turn there together. Jesus was in this certain place, and this woman comes in, and she's been sick for a long time. 
She's been known by her diagnosis. People don't even give her a name. They don't even, they don't even see who she really is. And it was a Sabbath day. She was a cripple. That's all they called her, the cripple woman. She had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. This spirit had not just crippled her, but caused her to walk with a bend. For 18 years, she just walked around like this. And I'm thankful that the Bible says this was a spirit that had attacked her. We don't know why. Did she deserve it? Probably not. But for whatever reason, she had been stuck in this condition. She couldn't straighten up at all. Jesus saw her. Four things Jesus does when he does miracles. Number one, he sees you. Jesus sees you. He sees you. In the back row, in the front row, he sees you watching online from Florida, from England, from Ukraine. He sees you. He sees you when no one else sees you. And he doesn't just see you for your diagnosis. He doesn't see you for the labels that the world has put on you. You are not a cocaine addict. You are not an alcoholic. You are not a cripple. He sees you as a child of God, as a candidate for a miracle, as a man who is ready to experience the power of God, as a woman who is worthy of his love. He sees you. Somebody say, he sees me. Number two, Jesus hears you. In every miracle that Jesus performed, people were crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. If I could just touch the hem of his garment. If you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus did not ignore the cries of humanity. He listened closely. He didn't interrupt them. He didn't say, stop talking. He came to listen to the cries of Samaritans, of Jews, of all different young and old. Let the children come to Jesus. He didn't push them away. He hears your cry. He doesn't interrupt you. He hears the unspoken prayers you won't tell anybody about. He hears the unspoken confessions you won't let anybody know about. And he wants to listen to you. He wants you to talk to him about your pain. He says, what can I do for you? Do you want to be made well? This woman had been bent over for 18 years. All of us in this room have some sort of bend. A bend on the inside. A bend in a certain direction. Jesus can heal your bend. He can heal your generational bend. He can heal whatever the bend has been in your life towards that temptation, towards that situation, towards that bitterness, towards that pain, towards that hurt, towards that wound, towards that sin, towards that addiction. Jesus looks at her and he says, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Not only does he listen, but he speaks to you. Number three, Jesus touches you. Before she was healed, Jesus put his hands on the woman. Now, this was, this was really um, anti-religious. All the Pharisees would never touch a person who was sick. They would especially never touch a woman. But Jesus wants you to know he's not intimidated by what the religious people think. He's not trying to please the critics or the doubters or the skeptics or the Pharisees. Jesus is willing to touch you when no one else will touch you. Jesus is willing to take a picture with you when no one else will identify with you. When everyone else will kick you to the curb, Jesus will come. He'll lift you up and he'll say, you can sit with me on the front row at church on Sunday at Victory. I called somebody this last week. They said, can I come to your church? 
I said, yeah. They said, are you sure you'll have me? I said, yeah. I said, come and sit with me at church this week. They came last night. Gave me a big hug after service. They said, your word was just for me. I said, I know. Jesus loves you. I'm so glad for a church where everybody has a seat in this house. Somebody needs your invitation. Somebody needs your invitation of compassion. He touches her. He's not afraid to level with you. He's not afraid to stand with you. He's not afraid to, to walk beside you. He's not afraid to feel your pain. He says, you've been hurt. I've been hurt. You've been rejected by those closest to you. I've been there. You got holes in your life. I got holes in my hands. You got scars near your heart. I got a scar right here from the spear that almost went through my heart. You've been crushed in your mind. I've been crushed with the crown of thorns. By his wounds, we are healed. By his stripes, we are healed. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He's my healer. He's my healer. Number four, Jesus heals you. As soon as he touched the woman, she straightened up and the bend was broken and the healing happened. I want you to stand to your feet all over this place. Jesus' power is here to heal you. He speaks words of life and hope and healing. He declares his desire for humanity. Jesus did not come to condemn the world. He didn't come to send sickness on humanity. He came to set people free from infirmity. He came to set us free from the dominion of darkness. Jesus healed a man who had been plagued by a thousand demons. I might talk about this in a couple weeks. A man who had been demon-possessed by legions of demons. And Jesus is not afraid to confront whatever thing you're walking through, whatever thing you need a miracle in. Jesus healed a, a widow's son who had just died in Luke 7 in a town called Nain. He's walking up and there's a funeral procession. And Jesus just got done preaching the Sermon on the Mount. People are excited about his message. Sunday service was beautiful. People are praising God. They're walking into Nain as this woman is walking out of Nain. This picture of Two crowds colliding. Jesus is walking with his church service into the town. This woman is walking out of the town holding her son who just died. She's got mourners. She's got pallbearers. They're all holding her son who just died. This was everything. This was her future. She had lost her husband. Now she just lost her only child. And Jesus stops the church service. He says, I know we just had a good Sunday service. But this woman needs a miracle. And he puts his hand on the dead body that no religious person would touch. And he puts his body right there next to that dead boy, that dead son. Whatever looks dead in your life, Jesus is willing to touch it. Whatever looks impossible in your life, whatever situation you came in here with and you put it on the shelf and said, God doesn't care. He's not involved. He says, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm working behind the scenes. I'm wrapping this miracle in the glory of God, and I'm going to move if you're willing to trust me in the process. And he says, son, come back to life. And immediately that boy rose back to life. I want us just to close our eyes all over this room. If you're here today, and you need a miracle. Maybe you need a miracle in your finances. Jesus multiplied the loaves and fishes. He's not just the healer of hearts and bodies, but he's the healer of people's financial situations. Maybe you grew up and, 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 and you tried your best and then you just, you've walked through a season where you feel so set back, you're not sure how you're going to afford anything. 
and you're here today and you're worried, you're stressed, Jesus says, I can do it. The same God who multiplied loaves and fishes, the same God who's moved in in places like Victory and ORU when they were $52 million in debt, and Jesus did a miracle. He multiplied the loaves and fishes. Now that university is one of the strongest financial stable universities in the nation. If he did it for ORU, he can do it for your business. He can do it for your family. He can do it for your dreams. He can multiply the little bit that you have. I want you to make your way down to this altar. Just step out. Take a step of faith today. Pick up your mat and start walking towards your healing today. Start walking towards your miracle. Bring your five loaves. Bring your two fish. Bring whatever you have. Whatever you're walking through today. Bring the the six empty jars. Let Jesus begin to change the water into wine. Let Jesus begin to change the brokenness into wholeness. Let Jesus begin to touch the areas that you have not wanted anyone else to see or know. If there's bleeding that needs to stop today, bring it to Jesus. And we're gonna worship God across this room. And we're gonna believe for miracles. If you need a miracle today, come down to the altar. If you need Jesus to touch your life today, come down to the altar. And I'm gonna ask prayer warriors, some of our strong prayer warriors, generals in the faith, to come and stand behind and beside some mighty men and women of God to come and pray for miracles to happen down at this altar. We're gonna pray that it starts today in this room. It's going to happen this month. It's going to happen this year. There's going to be breakthrough in Jesus' name. There's going to be faith that builds up in this room. There's going to be hope that builds up in this room. There's going to be willingness to be patient, to understand Jesus is working even when I don't see him, even when I don't feel it. He's on the move. He's doing something. And let's just worship across this room. Let's just believe that God can do it today. He's the way maker.
They were caught in a storm. They were stuck in a very deadly storm. It looked like it was going to take them all out. Peter started screaming, crying. He said, Jesus, don't you care that I'm about to die? And Jesus rebuked the storm. He stood up and he spoke to the storm. And he said, peace be still. And the storm stopped. And I believe today, as we were praying, Jesus is stopping storms. He's bringing peace. He's stopping the wind and the waves from messing with you. This is not in my notes. I, I had no plan to say this, but I felt like the Lord was saying someone has hit, has had hit after hit after hit. The waves have just kept crashing over your boat. And Jesus is he is speaking to that storm today. He's saying, peace be still. The wind is going to stop. The waves are going to stop. He's bringing you into peaceful waters. And he says, I'm going to use, I'm going to use the pain that I didn't send, but I'm going to use the pain you walked through to produce in you something so much more valuable. There's going to be a valuable faith on the other side of that storm you walk through. There's going to be something of value that helps people that you wouldn't have had before this. There's going to be a testimony. This miracle is for the glory of God. He's putting glory in your story. He's putting glory in the storm you've walked through. Lord, we speak to cancer right now to be gone in Jesus' name. 
Lord, we speak to pain in somebody's neck right now, someone who's had pain in your neck, that today, in Jesus' name, Lord, their neck is getting healed. They're going to be able to turn it to the left, to the right. They're going to be able to move it without pain, without that chronic pain that's been there. Lord, I pray, God, for, for that person who had pain in their spine when they walked in today. God, that today you're straightening up the spines of men and women. God, who've had just, just constant pain in their lower back. In Jesus' name, I pray for ears today where there's been a loss of hearing, God, that you're restoring back hearing in that left ear, hearing in that right ear in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord God, for those that have, had, have lost um, Lord, their, their ability to see right. God, that they're getting their sight restored in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for broken hearts in the room, people that have walked through painful, painful, painful situations. God, that today you are birthing a new healing story in their life and that their hope is being restored to know that you are moving in them. You're, you're showing them how you're going to bring those pieces of their heart that feel so torn apart back together. God, that you are restoring what the enemy stole from them. God, that you are redeeming them from what the, the enemy planned for them. I pray, God, for those that lost all hope, that today hope is being restored. Their best days are still in front of them. They're going to get through it. God, I thank you, Lord, today. You are writing healing testimonies in the room. Miracle testimonies and finances. I got to share this and then we'll, we'll end. But this, I pray this encourages somebody in the room financially. This past week, I don't know if he's here, but I met with someone in our church. And he said, Paul, I moved here back in 2005 or six from another country. When I came here, I was very poor. And barely had enough money just to get to Tulsa. I knew I was supposed to be in Tulsa, be at Victory. And I had heard about your dad. He said, I came here. And he said, your dad immediately, you know, asked me what my name was and, and what my story was and where I was from. And he said, I remember coming and just getting fed every single Sunday the word of God and faith that I wouldn't be poor my whole life. That one day I would have testimonies that I would be writing checks that funds missions all around the world. He said, I started dreaming that one day I would be one of the wealthiest people that I know that would be giving more than anyone else I know. And he said, I, I just started writing it on offering envelopes. I started praying that God would do a miracle because he said, I'm, I was poor. Grew up in a poor home, poor you know, background. Um, but he said, I would hear testimonies of God doing miracles for other people in, in the church. Well, this past week as I was meeting with him, he said, Paul, that, that dream came to pass. He said, I'm now one of the biggest givers. And I don't know who, who gives what. I don't know. But he said, I am now one of the people in my family. He said, I'm able to help so many people financially. I've been able to employ a lot of people. He said, I've got something right now on the brink that is going to compete with Google, with um, Amazon. He's, got, he's built something technically online. And he said, it's, it's going to help a lot of people in the kingdom of God. And he said, just pray for me because, you know, when, there, when there's an increase like that, when there's a miracle like that, the enemy always tries to mess with that. And so I want to just speak over someone today who's in a very dire state. If God did it for that friend, he could do it again. For anyone in the room that says, man, I want to be a blessing, but I feel like I've been stuck in this place for a long time. I've been bent over for a long time in this situation. I pray in Jesus' name, God, just for a loosening today, God, that the grip of 
poverty, of sickness, of shame, of addiction, of, of, of just oppression, of depression, of hopelessness, that today, God, you are loosing your church. God, to walk in victory, to walk in wholeness, to be an impact in their community, to be an impact for their family, to rise up out of addiction, to rise up out of shame, to rise up out of sickness. God, I thank you, Lord, today you're bringing healing. And God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would have testimonies, Lord, to bring you glory. God, I also pray today that you would remind us that no matter what, whether we get to see the miracle or be the miracle, you are good and you deserve the glory. And you deserve the praise. I want to remind you that God is still on the throne no matter what happens. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down. We're still not bowing down to that golden image that Nebuchadnezzar set up. I want to just encourage someone. Don't fix your faith in the results of your prayers. Fix your faith in the character of God. Let's fix our praise, not on what he does or how he does it or when he does it, but let's fix our praise on the fact that he's already finished the work on the cross, that he's purchased our salvation. Come on, let's give him praise this morning. Would you pray this with me? Just say, Jesus, you are my healer, my redeemer, my deliverer my provider, my protector, my good shepherd. You are my Lord, and I surrender. I repent of sin, and I receive your forgiveness. I look to you, Jesus. My hope is in you. My trust is in you, and I will see the victory. I will see your healing power in my life, and I will give you glory, and I'm going to praise you no matter what, no matter what, Satan, you're defeated. You have no authority over this child of God. I belong to Jesus. He's going to get my praise no matter what. And I'll have a testimony to talk about his glory because he's a good God. In Jesus' name.